In Matthew 16, 19 and elsewhere, Jesus told the Apostle Peter, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What exactly did Jesus mean by these instructions? Stay tuned to hear Dr. David K. Bernard explain how these verses apply to the modern church. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to check out Dr. David K. Bernard's books. Dr. Bernard has written more than 30 books on biblical theology and Christian living and leadership. Visit PentecostalPublishing.com and search David Bernard for a list of available titles. Enter promo code DKB10 at checkout to save 10% on your order. That's PentecostalPublishing.com, promo code DKB10 to save 10% at checkout. In Matthew 16, 19, Jesus told the Apostle Peter, he said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he repeated these instructions about binding and loosing in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. What exactly did Jesus mean by this talk about binding and loosing? Are we supposed to be binding and loosing something? And if so, what is it? And exactly how does this work? I would say simply that the authority to bind and loose is given to the church at large uh, and to the leaders of the church as representatives of the church, but it's spiritual authority based on the word of God. So it's not absolute authority. No authority is absolute except God's. Um, it's not authority to go tell angels what to do. They're not subject to us. They're dispatched as we pray to God, and he decides what to do and how to answer our prayers. Uh, we do have authority in the name of Jesus Christ to rebuke evil spirits. Um, that's given to us by the Lord, based and it's recorded in the Word of God. But let's look at the context. First of all, in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus was asking, who do people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, which a full understanding of the Son of the living God is means God manifests in the flesh. So based on that revelation, uh, Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, as, as you've quoted. The keys of the kingdom, the keys uh, are used to open doors. So it appears that Jesus was conferring upon Peter uh, the ability to open the door of the New Testament church. And we do find that in Acts 2, Peter was the first spokesman for the church, and he preached the message that culminated in Acts 2.38. And that's when Jewish people first came into the church, were baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, we find the gospel going to the Samaritans, a different group. They were descendants of Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles. So they had somewhat of a mixed 
status, uh, both ethnically and theologically. And while Philip went and evangelized them, none of them had received the Holy Ghost yet. So Philip reported to the apostles. They sent Peter and John. When Peter and John came and prayed for them, they received the Holy Ghost. And then in Acts 10, we find the first account of Gentiles, who non-Jewish people coming in the church. God sent the apostle Peter to preach and opened the door. They were baptized in Jesus' name. They received the Holy Ghost. So it does seem in a historical sense that Peter actually was the first one, the leading apostle, to open the door of salvation to the respective groups of people that represent the entire human race. Now, it's interesting. It wasn't arbitrary power. It wasn't Peter to preach whatever he wanted. He could only preach what Jesus had already taught. And it wasn't personal authority to have people obey his commands for personal glory. In fact, uh, Peter himself described in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, that spiritual leaders should not be lords over God's heritage, not dictators, but examples. And that we are under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. So it, it, using Peter's own story and teaching, we find it's not unlimited authority. It's authority uh, to do spiritual things, to preach the gospel, to advance the kingdom, to defeat the devil. And it's according to the teaching of Jesus and, and the word of God. Now, the binding and loosing, uh, while, while Peter was was given the keys, and I think we have those same keys, but he, Peter was the first one. So just like you think of the, the door being opened by the first person. But the binding and loosing is given more generally to the apostles, as you see not only in, in Matthew 16, but Matthew 18. And I would say it's very similar. It's spiritual authority to do things that are authorized by the word of God. Let me give you another example. In John chapter 20, the resurrected Christ talked to the apostles and said, whatever sins you, um, he, he says, I give you authority to remit sins. And whatever sins you remit, they're remitted. Whatever sins you retain, they're retained. Does that mean you know, spiritual leaders, whether it's just the original apostles or us today, we can go around saying, okay, I forgive your sins. Uh, I refuse to forgive your sins. You're going to go to hell. You know, I don't think so because the Bible actually tells us how this happens in Acts 2.38, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So we repent and we're baptized and we have our sins forgiven and remitted, washed away. So I, I see this as Jesus in the example of John 20 is telling the, the disciples, and I think the preachers of the gospel have that same authority today. When you preach the gospel and you tell people what to do and they do it, their sin's going to be washed away. But if you preach the gospel and people refuse to obey it, their sins are going to be retained. So it's not your arbitrary personal power. But as you administrate the gospel, the gospel will be effective. It will have results. When you preach what I've told you, people really will have their sins washed away. They really will receive the Holy Ghost. I'm going to back you up. So when you preach, I'll back up your message. And if people reject your message, well, then I'm not going to work in their lives in, in the same way. So, so you can bind and loose. I see it as Jesus saying, I, when you do what I've commanded you to do, when you preach my gospel, when you do the work I've called you to do, I will back you up. I'll give you power to fulfill what you say. 
when when you preach that people can be healed, I'm going to heal them. Uh, but then if people reject, then they're not going to receive the blessing. So you can lose people or you can bind people based on your message that I've given you and their response. Now, Matthew 18 provides further context because it talks about two specific cases, one being church discipline. When there's a dispute between two people, two Christians, they can't resolve it. They bring it to the church, uh, the, and I, which I think means the leadership, and they go through a process and they resolve it. Um, God says, you know, I'm going to back you up. And so if you mediate and come up with a solution, I'll support it. And it says, if the person rejects that, consider them a heathen. So they're disobeying the church. And then he also gives the example of two or three will bind together in prayer. I will, you know, I will honor their prayers. So in the, the two examples that we have, in addition to preaching, which I've already given an illustration, if a matter of church discipline, if there needs to be a decision made by the church to mediate or to discipline, you follow the process. At the end of the day, God will back up the church. And if people reject what the church has sincerely tried to do, then they suffer the consequences. Um, then the, on a positive note, in prayer. So the church agrees in prayer. God's going to honor their prayer. So the binding and loosing uh, is put in the context of uh church mediation, church discipline, and church prayer. Again, it's not absolute. That doesn't mean we can always claim whatever we want and it's got to happen. Everything is subject to the will of God, and everything is subject to the word of God. Uh, all things that you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Yeah, that's a pro positive promise, Matthew 21, 22. But First John also describes if you ask anything according to my will. Uh, and the, the Lord's Prayer, uh, it, it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So whether we express it every time we pray or not, the context of our prayers is always submission to the will of God. So what does binding and loosing mean? I think it means that God will back up the church's prayers and the church's preaching and teaching and the church's decision-making, when they have to make an important decision, God will support that. And if people reject it, then they suffer the consequences of rejection by God. Uh, however, the churches must only operate within its proper sphere of authority and according to the word of God. I'll give another example. In Acts 15, the apostles, the early church apostles and elders all got together. You might call it the first general conference, and they had to design, decide these Gentiles are receiving the Holy Ghost. Can we just accept them into the church as Gentiles, or should we make them get circumcised, keep the law of Moses, keep the Sabbath day, keep the dietary laws? Well, there was no clear statement in Scripture. They appealed to the Old Testament. They appealed to the work of the Spirit. They appealed to the testimonies of people like Paul and Barnabas who were missionaries to Gentiles. Uh, they, they looked at the example of Jesus. But at the end of the day, they had to decide. And after considerable discussion, debate, they came to a consensus uh, that Gentiles could be accepted directly into the church without having to obey the law of Moses. But they did ask them to follow certain things. Well, they wrote letters to all the churches and sent emissaries. They didn't expect that any one local church would write back saying, we reject the decision of the unified body. We're, we're splitting, we're leaving, we're turning in our credentials and, and we're going to be an independent church. 
But the way they phrased the letter, it said it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. So they felt they had the leading of the Spirit, but they also had the consensus of the brethren. I think that's an example where God led the church and God backed up the decision of the church. And he expected all the Lord, expected all the local churches to follow the decision the church had collectively reached after prayer, discussion, and consensus. Now, while I do not think any one organization has absolute authority, we could be wrong in a decision we make. But I look at it more as the way we're structured. For example, the Bible speaks of ordaining elders, that, that ministers should be ordained. It gives qualifications for ministers, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. But it doesn't give a detailed plan. So the UPCI has a system, local license, general license, ordination, has a training program. It, it has an application. Um, it ha- You must have a ministerial endorsement. You have to meet the board and be interviewed. So it has all this process. Well, all that process is not designed in Scripture. So could someone just say, you know what? That's not biblical. I'm just going to claim ordination on my own. I think, no. If you're part of a fellowship that's a sincere fellowship, godly fellowship, they're trying to implement Scripture, then God is going to back up that organization. When when the organization says this is what's required for ordination, God's going to support that. And if you short-circuit that, well, then you're not going to have the blessing. But if you do follow it, it's not just a piece of paper. It's not just a ceremony. When you are ordained, there's going to be a spiritual anointing that goes beyond just an organizational structure. And so that's an example where God leaves a lot of details of church government into our discretion. It's not specified in Scripture. The principles are there, but how we implement the principles is left up to us. But we can have confidence that if we're trying to implement what Scripture teaches, we're trying to follow the Word of God, we're acting sincerely, not out of personal motives, then God will back up what we're doing. It doesn't mean every decision is infallible. doesn't mean we can't make mistakes or shouldn't change or God could show us you got that wrong. But it means as a general principle, I God is saying, I will support you. And as you seek to preach the gospel and advance my kingdom, when you bind spirits and uh, of humans that are rebellious or evil spirits, or when you proclaim truth, I will support you in the decisions you make. I will bind what you bind. I will loose what you loose. I will, you know, I will thwart the people that come against you, and I will bless the people that bless you, and I will, you know, anoint your efforts, and and you will you will have my authority in accomplishing my purpose. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.